Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Andy Hines. Um, glad to spend some time with you this afternoon. <clears throat> As you can see, I'm in my home office today. Um, Rick just got back from Brazil, and uh, and he's uh, getting a long well-needed rest as he recovers from a long flight and a rough trip. I want to finish. Uh, we're talking about the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, and I want to go over a number of things. First of all, let's refer, review uh, the five things that Jesus modeled for us in chapter 1 of Mark. Number one, he, he modeled us being born again. He didn't need to be born again, but he modeled it for us. He got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Third thing was he operated in faith. Je the, the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we know from Hebrews 11 that you can't please God without faith. So we know he was operating in faith. Fourth, he went into the desert. Compelled by the Holy Spirit, he went into the desert. And five, uh, when he was in the desert, he heard what he was called to do. And number five is he went out and he did it. Now, we also reviewed the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Five things Satan does to steal the word which has been sown. Affliction. Persecution the deceitfulness of riches, lust, and thorns and thistles, which are cares of this world. Those are the five things that Satan uses to steal our joy, to steal uh, the word of God from us. Now, what we're looking at here, we're going we're to watch. After Jesus made this teaching, several things happen, and one of them, uh, was in in Mark thirty five or four verses thirty five through forty one. We talked about the storm story. Jesus said, "Let's cross over on the other side of the boat uh, to the lake." And then he went to sleep in the back of the boat, and a hurricane shows up. As the Amplified Classic says, it was a storm of hurricane proportion. The disciples, the professional fishermen, were afraid. Uh, they were fearful. Uh, Jesus got up and rebuked the thing. Everything calmed down. And he turned to them and he says, Where was your faith? They have no faith. Why were you so afraid? Where little faith? No, they said you had no faith. So they were accused of having no faith. Then, from that, we'll go into... Mark chapter 5, and we'll discuss, there's three people in, three situations in there we want to talk about. Uh, the De Gerasene demoniac, or the madman of Gadara, as he is sometimes called. Um, the woman with the issue of blood, and Jairus, the synagogue leader. But before we do that, we want to briefly go through and illustrate this principle. The sower sows the word. And Satan comes immediately to steal the word. This is what he's going to do to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. I don't know what that is, but like I said, Jesus has shown us the pattern. 
get born again. You have to be born again so you can hear God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will give you uh, the power to uh, accomplish what it is he needs. You have to have faith in order to move forward. You got to hear God. You got to know what you're called to do, and then you got to have use your faith and go do it. So we want to look real quick at Luke chapter four, verse one. So let's go to Luke four. It says Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now. We notice that it says as he went into the wilderness that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He battles with the with with Satan. Um, he he hears what God's called him to do. He resists Satan and his uh, and his minions, and he resists the temptations. And it says in verse fourteen, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. To Galilee. Verse 13 says, When the devil had ended all temptations, he departed from him until he found a more opportune time, which he never did. Verse 14, Jesus is now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you gotta understand this. The Holy Spirit, he had the Holy Spirit didn't just find the power. Jesus, during that time in the desert, tapped into the power. That's the key element. Now, from there, let's go on and see what happens. He hears from, <clears throat> excuse me, he hears from God what it is he's called to do, and now he's going to go do it. Okay? So, what kind of problems does he run into? Remember, now we're in Luke 4, verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now listen to this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and when he had unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. <clears throat> he sent me to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, he rolled up the scroll, verse 20, and he gave it back to the attendant, <clears throat> And sat down. The eyes of all <coughs> who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All bore witness to him and wondered at the gracious words which came out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Now, now, before we go on from there, <clears throat> it's interesting that Jesus goes to the scripture, and you'll find out that John the Baptist did the same thing in John chapter 1. He goes to the scripture, and he defines who he is by what the scripture says about him. In essence, uh, when he sat down in the open chair on the, on the platform, 
He's sitting down in the chair that was reserved for the Messiah. And as he's sitting down here, he says, basically, I'm the guy that he's writing about. I'm the Messiah. I'm he of whom Isaiah spoke. Now, what happens as a result of that? He knows he's called to do this. He sits down and identifies it. He announces it to everyone. So what happens? Well, <clears throat> all bore witness to him in verse 21. He said to them, You will surely say to me, this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your own country. And he also said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truthfully, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were closed for three years and six months. Yet to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, a city of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And all of those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They rose up, thrust him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down headlong. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Now, it's critical here. You notice. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm going to get a drink here to as Grandma Rose used to say you got to wet my whistle what Jesus is doing here he's heard what God's called him to do and now he's going to go out and do it now remember the parable of the sower the sower sows the word he's gotten the word of God who he is he reads this in Isaiah he learns this uh, through the Holy Spirit he learns what he's saying, and from that point, he moves up and he says, I'm going to go do the things I said. But he tells the truth. He tells the story, basically, of, of the Israelites' rejection of the Word of God. Now, we spoke uh, earlier about Joshua uh, uh, in um, a couple of sessions ago. We talked about Joshua. And how in Joshua 1, the Lord said, Keep this word in your mouth. Be strong and courageous. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Well, Jesus is doing that. And as soon as he does that, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. Now, he's already he's gonna, he's already tried to get him with a hurricane. That hadn't, that's not working. Okay, he's going to get hit with a hurricane. That's not working. Right here, this is not working. You'll see what happens. They went to throw him off the hill, but passing through their way, he left them. Now, how was he able to do that? That's the question. How was he able to do that? Well, he knew what he was called to do, and he hasn't done it yet, so he's acting on what God said, and they can't touch him. Um, he relied on his knowledge of his identity and his mission, and they couldn't touch him. 
the sower sows the word. Here's the word. You are the son of God. You are the, you are the man spoken of here in Isaiah. Satan comes and says, because you said those things, I'm going to throw your off the hill. I'm going to throw you off the hill. They couldn't do it because it wasn't it wasn't time yet. That his time had not been fulfilled. Now, if we go over to John chapter five, and I believe it's verse nineteen. Um, I believe I'll have that in here in a little bit, but I think John five nineteen, the exact quote. Jesus says, "I only do what I see the Father do. I only speak what I hear the Father speak." Um, let me look real quick just to make sure I have that scripture correct. This would be John five nineteen. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son likewise does. And he also tells that um, I can do nothing of myself as I hear I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And, and he only speaks what he's told to speak, and he only does what he's told to do. So we know in this situation uh, that... God didn't tell him that let him they're not gonna throw him off the cliff. So he leaves there. Okay, and then and then he goes then and he hasn't experienced the storm story yet. But this is the first thing that he's trying to get away from. You go back into Luke five, chapter one, which is one of my favorite stories about the calling of the disciples. But let's get back to our line in Mark chapter four. The parable of the sower, the sower sows the word. Now, he's crossed the sea, he's going on to the other side, and he lands uh, in the on the other side of the of the lake uh, in the Gadarene area. Now, chapter five of, of the book of Mark is, is a classic example of how the parable of the sower works. The three people involved are the, the Gadarean demoniac, uh, Jairus, the synagogue official whose daughter was dying, and the woman with the issue of blood. We're going to look at all three of them. Now, we won't get through them today, this session, uh, but the next session, we'll, what we don't get through today, we'll finish up in the next session. Now, let's go to Mark 5, and let's look at, let me get my notes outlined here. Let's, I'm going to uh, read the first 20 verses, and I'm going to go through them uh, uh, in the uh, modern English version, uh, which I've been doing this study in, which is my one of my favorite translations. So let's go through the first 20 verses here. Uh, they went to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gadarenes, and when he'd come out of the boat, immediately a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could constrain him, not even with chains, because he had been bound often with shackles and chains, but he simply pulled the chains apart and broke the shackles to pieces, and no one could subdue him. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran up and kneeled before him and cried out with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? 
And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. Verse 10, And he begged him repeatedly not to send them out of the country. In verse 11, Now there was a great herd of swine feeding near the mountains, and all the demons pleaded with him, asking, Send us to the swine, so that we may enter them. At once Jesus gave them leave, and then the unclean spirits came out and entered into the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, ran wildly down a steep hill into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Those who fed the swine fled and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people went out to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw him who had been possessed with the legion of demons sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who saw it told him how it befell him who had been possessed with the demons and also concerning the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart out of their region. And when he entered the boat, he who had been possessed with the demons prayed that he might be with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he's had compassion on you. So he departed and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Now, if we go back, I want to. There's several things about what this guy did, and I want to. I want to break them apart a little bit. Um, a man with an unclean spirit. First of all, the guy's loaded with demons. We can see that. Um, he lived in the tombs, and in the tombs. He was able to cut himself. Nobody could restrain him. Uh, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Uh, this is why they were so afraid when they came out and saw him sitting in their right mind. They've not been able to do anything with him. So in this thing, he was also crying out and cutting himself with stones. So he's in bad shape, no doubt about it. Now, he lived among the dead uh, that should be a clue right there that there's something drastically wrong. Um, what kind of place is this to live? Uh, he would be considered homeless. Uh, might there be opportunities for ministry of this type among today's homeless communities? I'm sure that there is. But in order for people to have this kind of effect on this kind of ministry, you have to be able to know who you are, what you're called to do, and be going out to do it. And there's a whole element there of learning about the scriptures and learning to find out what God's called you to do. You don't have to be in a hurry to do it. You will just know when it's the right time to go out and do it. Now, no one could control the guy. Uh, he was lived in torment. He was always crying out. And he was driven to hurt himself. Um, as we consider this type of ministry, I wrote a note down here, it is imperative that we not shoot off on our own without keeping in mind what Jesus said. I only do the things that I see my Father do. That's uh, John 5, 19. Uh, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Now, the demoniac saw him from a distance, and 
it kind of interesting. The demons had the gall to request of Jesus to not torment them after what they'd been doing to this guy. But Jesus commanded the demons to come out of the man, apparently from a distance. Now, Jesus engaged the demons in conversation, but it was a little, a little, we want to talk about that. Who are you? He gave them permission to enter the pigs, and the pigs uh, committed sausage side. You know, they went and took a dip in the ocean and didn't recover. And that alone, that event right there, how does these, what, what, what are we running into here? Well, remember Satan's five things. Affliction. This man is certainly being afflicted. Persecution. The deceitfulness of riches. The pigs running over the hill was an economic catastrophe for that region. 2,000 pigs, a lot of pigs. That's a lot of money. Don't know what they're, you know, what kind of racket they got going. If they got sausage, they're selling sausage. Or I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how they're doing what they do. I just know that they lost 2,000 head of, cat, of uh, pigs. Now, can we minister at a distance like that? Well, listen to, the, the, to let's go to Luke 9, 1. Uh, and read the first six verses. Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money. Don't even take an extra shirt. And whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave the town, just shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Now, they they were authorized to do what Jesus is doing. And you'll see in Luke that they did that. You'll, you'll, you'll see that. And then later the 70, uh, 72 were sent out. And they did that as well. But what's really critical here, um, uh, and I think if you just look at that briefly, could they have told this guy from a distance? Could they have told him from a distance? In other words, can you see it from a distance and minister at a distance? Well, the Holy Spirit had Jesus do that. I suppose if we were, you know, if we were thinking well enough and, and, and we were operating so close to the Spirit that we might be able to do that ourselves. The thing that I don't understand, um, and, and when I'm looking at this, is uh, we need to hear God, you know, we need to hear more clear so that we can understand if God wants us to do that. If God might show you a guy over there and, and you just begin to speak to it. Um, I'm, I'm thinking here across our, our church building. We're, we're, we're down in the lower right front of the building and somebody comes in the back. The Lord says, pray for that guy. Well, I can pray for him, but I'm at a distance from him. You shouldn't be afraid of that. You don't have to run up to the guy to, to lay hands on him and, you know, play... Uh, Verbal games with him. That's another thing. Jesus did not engage demons with verbal gymnastics. He just found out who they were and got rid of them. 
there wasn't any uh, silly uh, dialogue like what's your name or what are you doing or so those kind of things. So um, now as we go on from there, the pork herders ran back into town. They got back into town and they were very upset at what happened. Other people came out. And they, they basically saw their, their livelihood going down over the hill and being gone. They noticed this guy, and it scared them because Jesus had, had done what nobody else could do. You remember, they're trying to put chains around this guy and bring him together. That didn't work. And so, being right-minded, this guy scared the people. They, they were scared. They didn't know what to do. And it's interesting, in verse 17, the people began to beg Jesus to leave their region. He didn't argue with them. He just left. And I think you'll, one of the things you'll find out here in, in the New Testament, a lot of times uh, people control Jesus' uh, movements. If you remember, we read in Mark, he uh, healed a leper and he told the guy, don't go tell anybody, and the guy did. And because he did, that made Jesus had to adjust his schedule because he wasn't able to do what it was that he was called to do. Um, that's a pretty important thing for us to understand. For our ability uh, to hinder the, the, the creator of the universe has set things up such that he's partnering with us. And in his partnering with us, uh, we have a responsibility and he has a responsibility. I like what one friend of mine said. God's not going to do what he's equipped you to do. If he tells you to go do it, he's not going to go do it. And if you don't do it, it may not get done. So uh, God may have to get other people in there. But the point to be made is um, they asked Jesus to leave. He just turned around and left. Now, the the um, the man with the issue of, or not the man with the issue of blood, the demoniac, came and jumped in, you know, down, take me with you. I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, go back and tell everybody what you did. And if you go back and, and listen to Revelation 19.10, it said the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. In other words, uh, like Bill Johnson said, uh, what Jesus did for one guy, there's no respect or person. What he did for one guy, he'll do for the other. So your testimony about how God delivered you from all these demons and all this cutting and living in the tombs and everything uh, is a prophecy, a word of prophecy that Jesus will do that for others. And it's obvious uh, we can later on find out that this man had an impact in that area. Now, the once demonized and now right-minded right man did what Jesus asked him to do and everybody was amazed. Um, so... Jesus goes back and gets in the boat and they go back and they're going to uh, have, meet. we're going to then meet these other two folks. Um, the woman with the issue of blood and uh, Jairus and his daughter. So, uh, what do we learn about this story? Number one, Jesus was called to there. The enemy came at him with a hurricane to stop him from getting there. The second thing is, um, 
when Jesus found came out of the desert, one of the things that he did was he identified with what the God's word says about him. John the Baptist did the same thing. And if you notice, they're both filled with the Holy Spirit from birth in the womb. And um, they asked John the Baptist, who are you? Are you alive? No, I'm not him. They asked him all these things. Who are you? No, I'm not him. I'm not him. Well, who are you then? Well, then he started reading the scriptures and said, this is who I am. <coughs> Excuse me again. I'm the one called to blaze a pathway for him. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, as soon as Jesus began to do that, the people, Satan came after him. They came after him with persecution. They're going to throw him off a cliff, but they can't do that because he's not finished with what he's called to do. That's where the faith comes in. That's the battle. Can we hang in there facing uncertain things because he doesn't know that? Jesus doesn't know things. He believes what the Father said. We see that. I don't do anything, but I don't see the Father do. So, it is, you know, through the Holy Spirit, he saw himself walking away from these people, and they couldn't do anything about it. I don't know how that happened, but it would have been fun to sit there and watch them. So, first part of chapter 5 is done. We're going to talk about the next two parts uh, on our next uh, uh, lesson. So, let me close with prayer here. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I ask that everyone that would hear this, Father, would be able to listen and learn from you. And I pray that you give the words that I speak an anointing and have them bury itself deep in the hearts of people and bear good fruit in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll see you the next time. Brilha a luz que é no mundo meu viver.